open to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to talk tonight about money. Um, if you missed last week, you can go to our website, which is uh, the number 7 and then ten.org, and you can, you can track with where we've been. You can listen to that message on time. Um, I, I want to give you a couple questions. If you, if you take notes, you can, uh, you can write these questions down, and if you don't take notes, you can just kind of think through them. But as we, as we dive into a talk on money, here, here's a couple questions I have for you. What would you own or what would you have if you didn't wonder what everybody else owned and what everybody else had? Like, what would you have if you didn't wonder what everybody else had? What, what would you want if you didn't already know what everyone else had? And, and how much money at this point in your life do you think that you would have saved if you didn't know what others spent their money on? And then how much money would you have given away to those who had less if you didn't know how much more the people who had more had? So, so I, I think when we get into this thing with, with money, we start talking about money, um, our, our problem is that we, that we know too much. And we know too much of what other people have. And, and this information makes us dangerously discontent. And this information has the potential to kind of really make us veer off and to go to places financially destructive and almost disastrous. So, you know, there, it, whether it's credit card debt, whether it's buying things that you wish you didn't have and you could sell later for half the price. It, the problem is when we know too much, it feeds this internal appetite that's never fully and finally satisfied. And, and that's the thing about these appetites that we have. They're never fully and finally satisfied. And our appetite for stuff, it just grows and grows and grows and it's never fully satisfied. So we're going to get some counseling tonight um, from Jesus, who's a wonderful counselor. That's like his literal name. Um, yeah, there you go. Shout me down all night. I like it. And then, uh, yeah, we're, and out of Matthew chapter 6. Let me, let me just pray real quick for us. Ask God to help. God, thank you for, uh, God, just this time together. And, and Father, I just thank you for the wisdom that we find in your word. And um, God, I thank you for the freedom that we find in walking in the ways that you have designed and laid out for us. So God, let us, uh, let us hear this and let us experience it tonight as freedom. God, give us the courage and the boldness to, um, to obey, knowing that you're a good shepherd that leads us to uh, all the right places. And God, you provide exactly what we need. We love you. Holy Spirit, help me. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So, so here's what I want to do. I want to give you principles tonight that are going to give you like, like guardrails. Um, and we've talked about guardrails in, in here before. What guardrails do is they create um, patterns of behavior or ways of thinking um, that keep us from going off into places that are destruction. So I want to give you some principles that are going to serve as guardrails as it pertains to your finance. So, so here's some, some kind of financial guardrails that we're going to look at tonight. Now, I, I also know that there's people in the room... Um, that you might not be a Christian, Jed or Corey kind of mentioned that, uh, and so you're like, well, okay, we're going to look at things that Jesus says, and you might feel like, well, okay, he doesn't really have authority in my life, so I don't really have to live out 
what he prescribes. Um, and I totally understand that. I totally understand that. Now, if you are a Christian, you have no choice. This is what you signed up for uh, when you became Christian to say that, that you're, you're going to say, yes uh, say yes to Jesus and whatever it is that he would like for you to do. Now, if you're, if you're not a Christian, I, I personally think you should pay attention to what Jesus suggests um, anyway. And, and, and you should always be curious just about what Jesus says. So Jesus is, is God and Regardless if you're a Christian or not, I think you would want to know, like, okay, well, what does God have to say about those things? Even if you don't agree, I, I think you should still at least want to know what it is that he thinks. Um, it, it's really interesting. Like, when people come to the church for, for counseling, um, they usually come uh, for two topics. One is sex, uh, and the other is, is money. And usually these are the two areas of teaching in the New Testament that are most disregarded. Uh, and, and, and I kind of understand that because the word on the street is that the church is anti-sex, uh, they're against sex, uh, and, that all, and that the church only wants your money. That's what kind of people think about the, the church. Um, that's the reputation of the church. Well, um, first, God isn't against sex. He created it. He designed it. Um, and when it comes to money, the church, the church doesn't need your money. The church doesn't want your money because here's the deal. God doesn't need your money, um, but God wants something for you as it relates to your money. And, and so as a church that follows the teachings of Jesus in the Bible, which we are, we want something for you as it relates to your money. So financial guardrails, and, and I feel like I have to say this uh, on the front end, are, are not just programs to keep you out of debt. There are some great programs like that out there, and if you're having issues with debt, we can chat and we can kind of line you up with some of those. Um, but and, it, and it's not really about how to avoid bankruptcy and credit card debt and all those things. Because we're, this is going to talk about something much, much deeper. Um, it's going to talk about a deeper principle that you can employ as it, as it shows up in your, in your finances. And, and, and in fact, um, you, you could be debt-free. You could have money in the bank and still be in a ditch financially. And what Jesus does here is he goes at the heart of the matter when it comes to money. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 6. I'm not going to read verse 20. Four. Jesus is talking uh, here. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the, the Greek word that's translated masters is a, is a word that doesn't mean boss. We might read that and be like, you can't serve two bosses. But what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about someone who owns someone. So, so he's saying that when he's talking about money, it's a matter of possession or a matter of, of ownership. He's saying you can't be possessed except by one thing. You, you can only be owned or, or the possession of one person or one entity or one thing. You can only have one owner. And, and he's saying you can't serve God. You can't be owned by God, possessed by God, and money. Actually, the, the word there is a word that means stuff. Like, you can't be owned by God and owned by, by stuff. So for Jesus, the primary issue regarding money isn't the money. The primary issue when it comes to money for Jesus is mastery or control or ownership. And the question that Jesus is asking us as it pertains to our personal lives is, do we have money, do we have money, or does money have us? See, last week when we were talking about time, we were saying, we, a lot of times we ask um, what time is it, rather than how am I spending my time? So this week, when we have this question about money, we're saying, okay, do I have money, or does, does money have me? me meaning, do, do I own it, or does it own me? 
do, do we possess it or does it possess us and use us? Some of you are like, I don't have money and it still has me. <laughs> the, the reason why we need financial guardrails is because what money and what money promises is the chief competitor for your heart, which is why Jesus goes after this. Because you might be incredible at managing money now. I think there are some people in the room, you're, you're pretty savvy, pretty smart. Maybe you grew up in a home where you were trained and taught in this and your parents did a good job kind of teaching you about financial responsibility. And you might be incredible at managing money and never getting yourself into debt. But the point that Jesus is trying to make is are you going to trend towards unbridled consumption and desire? Meaning like I'm going to spend, spend, spend so I can have, 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 so I can consume, 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 consume. Are you going to be, are you going to be, owned by that, or are you going to trend towards unbridled fear? i got to save, 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 hoard, 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 save, 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 hoard, 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 because I'm afraid of what could happen if I don't have. Those are kind of the two paths that, that people tend to go off on. But the root cause for both those things is the same thing, and it's a word that we really don't like, especially when someone says it about us, and it's this word greed. Now, this this. There's a pastor, and he has this little phrase where he defines greed, and it's, it's not original with me, but I'm going to borrow it. And he uses he, I love it. He says, he said, greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. You like that? Did you like that? No? Not so much? Okay. It's the assumption. So I'm assuming that everything is for my consumption. That it's all about me consuming. That's what greed is. It's the assumption in every part of my life that it's all about my consumption. Now, greed, it, it's not like a fictional character. It's not Scrooge McDuck, you know. It's, it's, and it's not something that, like, happens to somebody else but will never happen to, to you. Greed is the assumption that if it shows up in my hands, it's for me. G- greed is thinking, all right, if it's in my bank account, then it's for me. If it's, if it's part of my paycheck or part of my bonus, then, it, then it's for me. It's an assumption that everything is for my own consumption. And if I do choose to give to somebody else, I hope God is watching and I hope that he returns the favor. Now, now here's the tragedy. When you live that way, whether you're a Christian or not, when you live that way, you're living as if there is no God. And, and you're living as though there is no life apart from this life. Like, this is the life that, that, that's all there is. There's this life, and then that's it. it. It's kind of the same principle when we looked at last week when Moses says, God, teach us how to number our days. Teach us to understand, like, what's going on. In the, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's this guy, Solomon. He writes it, wisest man to ever live. But, but, and he says this. He's like, look, there's nothing new under the sun, which means there's nothing new in, in life. And, and he's saying, if you believe that this life is all that there is. Like, it's just this. This is it. Then he says, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. He's like, if that's how it is, if life is, it's just this, then Solomon says, if that's true, then yeah, you get yours. And you just burn it all up. And you, like, deny yourself nothing. Go after it, go after it, go after it. Actually, Solomon spends time living like that. And at the end of it, he's like, you know what? It's like chasing the wind. It's all, it's all vanity. I've had it all. I've done it all. And it's, it's like chasing the wind. But Solomon says, but if there is, if there's something in you, if there is a suspicion that is more to life, which all people have, the scripture says that eternity is set in the hearts of men, 
then you dare not allow your life to be driven by consumption. Because when you live like this, when you live like there is no God, you're saying, it's all about me. It's all about me now, and it's all about me later. But then something very interesting happens at some point in your life. If it hasn't happened already, it happens to all of us. Trouble comes along. It's either trouble that you created or, some, or trouble that somebody else created, right? So maybe it's trouble that you created, like you spent too much, you maxed out all your credit cards, you got yourself into debt, you bought the car you shouldn't have bought, right? You, got, you rented the apartment you shouldn't have rented, you purchased something that you shouldn't have purchased, you just, you create, you, there's no margin, and it's trouble that you created in your life. Or it's financial crisis that somebody else created in your life. Like you got laid off or the deal didn't go through or something just kind of just fell apart and it was something that you didn't contribute to but somebody contributed to your trouble. Now, there's something very interesting that happens when those scenarios happen in your life. What do people do? They, they pray. They pray. Even, even people who aren't Christians, even people who aren't like God people, they, they, they pray. And, and what, do they, what do they pray? God, help. Help right? And what you're really saying when you pray in those times of trouble, um, especially around, around your finances, is you're saying, God, I'd like to invite you into my finances because I have a problem. We invite God to get involved with our money. So if you're a Christian, or even, again, even if you're not, if you'd invite God into your finances when there's a problem, when there's crisis, why don't you invite him in before there's crisis or before there's problem? So, so the, the guardrail against greed, which is the thing that really sends us off a financial cliff, and the way that you invite God into now your finances before trouble really hits is by reprioritizing, by reprioritizing. And here's what I mean by that. And this is exactly what Jesus teaches. Now, most people, most people feel like their money is for three things. So when you think about money, you think three things primarily with your money. And I think we got a slide for this. You think live, save, give. And a lot of times you think in that order, okay? So you think live, all right? So when you get money or you have money, when you think about money, first thing you're thinking is like, all right, I got to live. I got to pay bills. I got to buy stuff. I have to consume, right? I have to have things. I got to live. I got to pay for my life. And then some of you, and, and some of you, you just stop there. And that's kind of like what money is to you. you just, it's just for living. It's I work to live, and living is buying stuff and paying for stuff. And that's kind of where it ends for you. Now, some of you, you have the next step. Like, yes, I do have to pay bills, but I also would like to save. So, you know, like you think about an, if an emergency hits, you know, my car breaks down or something happens, I have some kind of medical thing, so I should have like a rainy day fund, I should have some kind of money in saving. And then if there's anything that's left over, maybe it goes in this like give bucket. And, and that's for like, you know, if a tsunami hits and I want to give to the Red Cross or there's some kind of disaster or hurricane hits or something like that. And I want to, you know, I want to send 495 through text or whatever. And I feel like I can kind of help people out. Then, then you've got a little bit in the, in the give bucket. And, that, and that's kind of the order that most people, when they look at money, that's the order that they have. So it's, it's, it's me first, live. Uh, and then it's me second, save for me to help my living, and then it's everyone else maybe third. And when you live this way, which this is the way most people live, when you live this way, you are mastered because you are living as if there's no more to this life than this life. 
you're, you, when you live this way, you're living as if God has no interest or idea of what is going on in your life financially. And this is how most people view their money. Live, save if I can, give. So, so Jesus comes along, and this is where you see the brilliance of Jesus. He comes along and he says, look, if you want me to be master of your life, and some people in the room, you're like, yeah, I don't necessarily know that I want, do want that. But it, let's just say that you have, and, and a lot of you in the room, you have. You'd say, yes, I want Jesus to be over my life. Corey mentioned he rules. I, I, want, I want the rule and the reign of Jesus in my, in my life. Then Jesus says, if that's what you want, then you have to embrace the way that I see the world and you have to value what I value. And when you do, you will flip this over. You'll change this. So instead of live, save, give, Jesus says you want to live with give, save, and live. This is how you master your money. This is how you master your money. You give first, you save second, and you live on the rest. This, this all came from Jesus, and this works. It's brilliant. This is the key to financial independence, right? Independent, independence from the belief in your life that life equals stuff. That life equals stuff. Because when you believe that life equals stuff, you live as though there is no God. And no matter what you have, you're always discontent. Because it's an appetite. And when you're driven by an appetite, unhealthy things happen. And, and if we consider what we talked about last week, most of us will run out of time before we run out of stuff. Okay? Apple proves this to us every year. There's something brand new I have to have. Okay? And that's not going away anytime soon. There's always going to be the next thing that you have to have. And you'll run out of time before you run out of the next thing that you have to have. You will die, and there will be a lot more stuff left over. And so when you live as if life was stuff, it, it's, it, it's, it's not. And you, everybody, at some point, you come to realize that because your life is your time. We talked about that last week. Your, your stuff is your stuff. So why would you live as if life is stuff, and why would you allow your stuff to master and control you? It's, it's independence. Jesus is preaching independence from a lifestyle that limits God to only be useful and relevant in emergencies. If that's your view or your picture or even your experience of God, that he's only the like break in case of emergency behind like the glass thing, then you're not living out what God says, the abundant or the fullness of life in God. He's, 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 he's only someone that you commune with. He's only someone that you talk to in times of crisis and emergency. But I want God to be invited into every single part of my life at all times. So what Jesus is trying to help us with here is independence from a life that is independent from God. Independence from a life that is independent from God. For the rest of your life, money and stuff is going to compete for first place. It's going to compete for your heart. And you don't want money to win. And your heavenly father doesn't want money to win either. You don't want to live a life where, where you have to choose between money and peace. You, you don't want to prioritize getting more stuff, owning more stuff, having more things over a great marriage or over a life with your kids someday 
or health or other relationships. You don't want to live a life where you're pitting those things against these other more important things. You can have stuff. It's okay to have stuff. But you don't want your stuff to have you. Now, here's again what Jesus says. Go down to verse 31 in Matthew chapter 36. Verse verse 31. Listen, Listen what he says. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Now, we think about those things. We're like, yeah, I'm not worried about what I'm going to eat because I'm going to Joyride Taco right after this. I'm never really worried. I've always got something to eat. Or no, I'm not really worried about what I'm going to wear. I mean, I've got like a closet full of clothes. It's not really a big deal. But when he's saying this in this, in this day, they didn't have refrigerators, right? So they did worry about what are we going to eat because the only things that could be like kept for like a long time that would be preserved would be like grain, maybe wine, things like that, right? Okay, so, so they, real, they were worried about, well, what am I going to eat? What am I, I going to drink? And clothes were crazy expensive, right? And so they were worried about, well, what am I going to wear? But he says, don't, don't worry about that stuff. He says, look, I know you think about those things all the time, and your inclination is to worry, but I don't want you to worry about it, and here's why. Because when you worry, this is just a, a great point for you to know, when you worry about the future, and when you worry about stuff. You close your hands and you close your heart, right? If I'm worried about what I have, what I possess, I become more and more possessive of it. And I close my hands and I cling tightly to it. I close my heart off to other people who might threaten my stuff or my comfort or my conveniences. And if you're going to follow Jesus... You cannot follow Jesus with closed hands and a closed heart. Look, look, look what he says here after, after verse 31. He says, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, now, when we think pagan, we think, well, okay, those are people who don't go to our church. But what Jesus is talking about here. When, when he's talking about pagans there in, in the, at, at this time, the pagans were the ones who they believed in multiple gods, and they believed that gods cared less about people. The, the pagans here, they believed that the gods were the ones who they, like, they messed with people. Like they were always playing games with people. They, they like toyed with people. And, they, and they, were, they were all about whatever they wanted for themselves. And the pagans believed that the gods were, were all about themselves and that they weren't for them. They weren't about the, the people, not for the good of the people. And so what the pagans were constantly trying to do is they were constantly trying to bribe the gods so that the gods would do something good towards them. And, and, and Jesus says, if you worry all the time, if you're anxious all the time about what you have, what you wear, what you eat, he says, you are living like the pagans who have gods that don't care about them. You're living like a pagan who doesn't have a personal God that is intimately acquainted with every aspect of your life. He says, look, your heavenly Father knows that you need all that stuff. And so really, the question about money is starting to boil down to that question. Do you really believe that about God? Do you really believe that he knows and that he's able to provide what you need. Because Jesus says, look, your father knows. And if that's true, do you have to worry? Do you have to worry if that's true? 
do, do we need to have our hearts and hands closed if that is at the core of our belief system? Okay, so what do I do? Just, just not worry? Well, Jesus says, well, there's actually another step. He says, don't worry, but verse 33, do this instead. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry, but seek. Seek is put first, prioritize, reorder. Seek first. Realign what is important to you. So everybody in this room, you have things in your life that are extremely important to you. And those are the things right now, if I looked at your calendar or I looked at your bank account, I could figure out what's most important to you. Where you spend your time and where and how you spend your money will lead me right to what is most important about you. If you spend most of your time and your energy and your finances and your money on you, you're the most important thing to you. If it's going towards another person, they're the most important things to you. If it's going towards like school or maybe a job or a hobby or something like that, well, that's the most important thing to you. Whatever those things are directed at, that's the most important thing to you. And what Jesus is saying, look, realign, seek first, prioritize, reorder so that your energy, your time, your finances go towards my kingdom. Now, that's a churchy word that's like, okay, that's not helpful because I don't really know what that means. Here's what Jesus is talking about when he says my kingdom. He says, I want you to seek the kingdom of your heavenly father and his kingdom, his kingdom is an others first kingdom. It's not a me first kingdom. That's the kingdom of this world. That's, that's most of the kingdom that we live in and that we're trying to kind of perpetuate in our own lives, a me first kingdom. Jesus says, well, that's not, that's not the kingdom that I bring. I'm bringing an, an others first kingdom. So if you're gonna follow Jesus, it's about others first. He, he's, an, he's an other king who's creating an others first kingdom. And the reason that it's his righteousness is that Jesus taught us that what is best for other people is what is best. What, 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 is, what is doing right for others is the right thing to do. That's the, that's the righteousness of, uh, of Jesus. What he's talking about, like the right thing to do is to do the right thing towards others. And so Jesus says, look, if you want me in charge of your money, which if you say you want him in charge of your life, that's part of it. You want him in charge of your money. It will take you to places of loving others first. There's this um, time in the life of Jesus where him and his followers are on the way to Jerusalem. And the guys that are with him, they're not too psyched about going to Jerusalem because they're pretty sure that when they get to Jerusalem, they're going to kill Jesus. And these guys have in their mind this whole thing that Jesus has come as a revolutionary and he's going he's gonna to overthrow the Roman government, this oppressive Roman government. He's going to overthrow them and that these guys are going to get a shot to rule in this new kingdom that Jesus is talking about. So they're not too psyched that Jesus is deciding to go to Jerusalem. But they have this thought like, well, okay, well, let's say that 
Jesus is going to go, and he's finally going to do what we've wanted him to do this whole time. Let's say he goes to Jerusalem, and he's going to kind of lose the rabbi robe, and a cape's going to come out, and he's going to be like, I'm here to overthrow. And they start in on this discussion, like, which one of us do you think will get to sit on the left, and which one of us will, do you think will get to sit on the right? They start to say, well, like, how important do you think we will be when Jesus finally overthrows the Roman government and we get our place in the kingdom? What do you think it's going to be like for us? And Jesus pulls over to the side of the road. He's like, all right, let's talk about this again. He says, my kingdom is not like the kingdom of this world. Because the kingdom of this world, they use power against people for their own benefit. We see that played out all over the place, right? But Jesus says, it's not so with you. He says, in my kingdom, it doesn't work like that. In fact, he says something that's so radical and so shaking to them. They really don't get it until much later, honestly. But he says, in my kingdom, it doesn't work like that. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. And and then he says this very powerful uh, verse, line. For even the Son of Man, even the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Here's what Jesus is saying, and we're just done here. He says, I'm about to do for the whole world what I'm going to ask the whole world to do for one another. Jesus says, I'm about to do for the whole world what I'm going to ask the whole world to do for one another. And when he did that, it changed the world, and it can change the world again. Because that kind of self-sacrificing love would solve everything. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Seek first and then relax. Because all these things will be added to you. When you are generous to others and you live like God is in control. God is invited in. Not just into your finances. But you'll see. like God invites you in to crazy opportunities to see him bless you and bless others through you. I'm not saying, hey, if you give some money to the church, he's going to make you rich. That's not what I'm saying, because that's not what he says. But I am saying that the more you take this posture of like, I'm just going to give first, you're going to see God use you as a a conduit to continually help and serve and give, give to others. And like this stuff whether it's money or re- other resources or opportunity, it's just going to just flow through you because you open up and you say, okay, God, I invite you into my finances. And so you say to start with giving, I'm going to start with giving. Where do I give? And he's going to bring people and he's going to bring provision. And you're just going to watch him work through you. That's, that's what money looks like in the kingdom of, of God. When you, when you put what God is up to first in your finances, that's an invitation to let God in because you're saying, God, you first, me second. God says, that's my kingdom. Now you got it. That's, that's what I'm all about right there. God, God says, I'll take you, I'll take care of you because I know what you need. I'll take care of you. because And, and the way that you make sure that you have money but your money doesn't have you is that you seek first with your money the kingdom of God. This is, this is why you give to your local church. Now listen, not because your church needs your money. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. It doesn't matter, right? That's not, even, that's not the point, and it's really not your business. 
You do it so that you can say, God, you first. You first. Me second. And, and when you put God first and other people first with your stuff and with your money, then God knows. And it's not because he needs it. It's because he loves you and because he knows what is best for you. So if you want to see and experience freedom in your finances, give first, save second, live on the rest. Let's pray and ask God that he'd help us to do that. Father, we... Um, we can be generous because of how generous that you've been to us. God, I just think of when you're in your word, you tell us that you who did not spare your own son, how will you not more graciously, meaning above and beyond, give us, give us all things? God, especially what, we, what you know that we need. God, you tell us all throughout your, the scripture um, to be anxious for nothing, God, you tell us to consider the, the birds and the lilies and these other things in creation, God, that you just so freely take care of. And God, how much more are we of value to you? Um, so I, I pray, God, that you would um, bring freedom to those of us who uh, are anxious, especially in, in this realm of provision or finances. Um, God, I, and I, I pray, God, that we would not be people who are closed-handed, closed fist, and closed hearts, God, towards what you would do, but um, God, for this, for this community, I just think how amazing it would be if, God, the young adults could lead the way in the church with generosity. God, I know there's not a ton of money in this room, but God, if we, um, if we really took seriously that we don't want our money to have us, um, but God, we want our money to seek first your kingdom. God, I just firmly believe that you'll, you'll bless that. And so, God, would you, would you make us like that? Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.